story and storytelling and storytellers. As we have journeyed through the parables of Jesus time and time again, we have seen that stories are popular the world over, in the ancient world and in the world in which we live today. We discover time and time again as we look around in our lives and in society that we as individuals and as human beings love story. Because we discovered several weeks ago that story enable the hearer to see themselves. And whilst the story often deals with the familiar, there is that added bonus. There is that moment, there is that subtle twist in which something new and fresh comes to the fore and we see it for the first time as it were. Story is a brilliant tool in the hands of a skilled storyteller. And as we have journeyed with Jesus through his parables, time and time again, we have seen that Jesus was one of the greatest storytellers that the world has ever known. Yet recently, I've been reading just for pleasure Russell Brand's book, Revolution. And in it, he observes the following. Joseph Campbell has said, that all the problems that we are experiencing, economic disparity, ecological meltdown, crime, alienation, war, and starvation, are the result of having no communal story, a story that unites us, divines us in relation to ourselves, and to others. For Russell Brand, what the world is lacking is a common story that helps us make sense of who we are and where we are. Yet this morning we come to this table and find that there is a story that unites us. There is a story that challenges us to live differently, and there is a story that, if lived out, ultimately responds to all those things that Brand highlights. Yet, if that is the case, and it is, we this morning as we sit here as church and as individuals need to ask ourselves, why is that story not connecting? Because if that story answers all those questions and all those needs, why are we hearing on our television screens and reading in our newspapers that we are lacking a story that unites us? As church and as individuals, are we bad storytellers? As church and as individuals, have we added caveats to that story that are making people shut their ears when they hear it? And are we as church and as individuals doing injustice to that story as we tell it. Because time and time again, as we encounter the parables, we see that they are challenging. They require something on our part, but also the part on others who hear. And this morning we come to Jesus telling more stories. Chew. Chew with your mouth shut. Avoid slurping. Don't use utensils and cutlery like shovels. Don't pick at your teeth at the table. Remember to use a napkin at all times. Wait until you're done chewing to speak or take a drink. Cut only one 
piece of food at a time instead of reaching across a table. Why not ask someone to reach something to you? Always say, excuse me, when you need to leave the table. Table and table manners. In recent years, many people have criticized the decline in manners in our world. To many, it seems that society has become accustomed to a way of doing things that would have been considered rude only a decade or so before. Someone has once said that time and time again in Luke's gospel, you always find Jesus coming to a meal at a meal, or leaving a meal, and that is true of the passage that we have shared together. Jesus being invited to the home of one of the leading Pharisees. This was not just your average social occasion, because this passage for us shares the real reason for the invitation. Right at the outset, we see that the people were watching Jesus closely. This group of Pharisees, this dinner to which Jesus has been invited, was actually a test. But what we discover as we journey through it is that there is a surprising twist. Because the only observations that are made at the table don't come from those who have hosted the meal and who are closely watching Jesus, but rather the observations come from Jesus himself. If you will, what you discover in this reading this morning is that Jesus is teaching the Pharisees and is teaching us today some table manners. Because what we know from what we read is the way that you behaved and interacted in these social settings in Jesus' day were hugely important. The way you behaved and where you sat depended on your social standing. There was a lot of importance placed on meals and eating and the place in which you were seated at meals. So surprisingly, not surprisingly in fact, what you discover is at meals there was often jockeying for position. People were eager to get the best seat. People wanted to be seen to be in the right place. They wanted to be seen as part of the inner circle. The further and closer they were to the host, the more important. The further down the table, the least important they were. People knew where they stood, it would seem, in society. Yet, as we come to Jesus and his teaching, what we see is that he is, in actual fact, offering a radical alternative, a different way of doing things, an upside-down way of doing things. Because with Jesus at the table, what we quickly see is that he is beginning to teach the people about this new way of doing it. Who is the most important Who should be further up the table? Jesus begins to teach through parable. He told the people at the table the best way to go about choosing their seat. He told them that if you are invited to a banquet, don't simply sit in the place in honor. You might actually be the most honored person there, but when the host asks you to give up your seat, you will be humiliated. 
because you'll have to go back down to the so-called children's table. But rather, Jesus says to those at the meal that it is actually better to sit in the least honorable place so that the host can then invite you to the higher place. And of course, what we see is that Jesus is challenging the assumptions of the day. Because what he was doing was challenging the very notion of what honor and privilege were all about as he turned to look at the host and challenge the practical wisdom and etiquette of the day. Because meals, meals in the ancient world were not just an opportunity to get something to eat, but rather they were a chance to build your own reputation, to make connections. So that's why everyone was so eager to be at the higher end of the table, so that they could enhance their standing. We do it today too. Did you see who I was having dinner with last night? Speaks volumes. But... Jesus issues a clear challenge and command to the people gathered at the table. Because not only should they think about where they're sitting, but they should also think about who they are inviting. Who do you want to have to dinner? Why are you inviting them? What do you think you can get in return from inviting them? That is not what Jesus is about. Rather, what we see is Jesus turning to them and saying, the very people you need to have at dinner are the poor, the lame, and the cripple. What you need to have at dinner are the people who can't repay you. What you have to have at dinner are the people who won't enhance your reputation. Because it is only then that you truly enter into the kingdom of God and experience what this new way and world of doing things actually looks like. Jesus gives those gathered a completely different kind of table etiquette. Table etiquette. Being generous. Jesus is not about this, your scratch, sorry, you scratch my back and I'll scratch your way of doing things. Rather, Jesus is doing something entirely different. There were people in the ancient world for whom poverty was a reality on a daily basis. The poorest of the poor would be walked past by those who had loads of money and were heading to these great meals. Pharisees were wealthy people. They earned a lot of money. They could afford to work and live and move in a world that was so different to the world of the poor, the cripple, and the lame. Money is important. Money was important to them. Yet Jesus is challenging that very concept. He's taking a hard, long look at who's in and who's out, about who's up and who's down. And he's turning it all on its head. Because what he's saying to these people is, you may have it all, but if you really want to get in on what I'm doing, you really need to become like those that you've walked past to get here. Jesus, in this parable, is offering us a fresh vision, a new start, a new world. One that has nothing to do with playing any kind of game, but rather Jesus is offering us, as he was them, the vision of a table at which no one has the place of honor because everyone 
has the place of honor because Jesus and God is the one who is doing the inviting. What we find at Jesus' table, what we find at the table in the kingdom of God is that there is no hierarchy of seating plan. What we discover is that actually it is a circular table because God is extending the invitations to everyone equally. As we come to this passage this morning, what we see is that there is good news in it. What we see is there is glorious good news for everyone who has ever felt like filth. That there is good news for all those who have felt the sting of humiliation. That there is good news for those of us who have not felt worthy from the boardroom to the lunchroom. What we see is that there is the glorious news that this table which we will come to, is open. And what we see is at this table, every seat is a place of honor. But what we see, what we see is not only is the table open, but rather there is, alongside this glorious good news, also challenging news. Because we cannot decide for God who is on his A list and who is on his B list or even his Z list. There is hard, challenging news in this parable because really what we see is the people that we need to invite to this table are the very people in the world that we cannot stand. The people in the world that we cannot stand, whether they be in our families, in our offices, in our newspapers, The hard, challenging good news of this parable this morning is this, that this table is open to all, and every seat at it is a place of honor. So there's good news, there's challenging news, but there's also heart-stirring news in this parable. Because what we see is that there is exciting, heart-stirring good news for everyone who has ever belonged or indeed longs to belong to a community of faith or to those even who are just mildly interested in this enterprise of religion. This table is open and at it every seat is a place of honor. So if it's open to everyone. If every seat is a place of honor, what does it mean for us today? I want to share with you a story that someone told at an event I was asked last week. It wasn't his story. It was actually a story written by Soren Kierkegaard, the philosopher and minister, who during his life in the 19th century, mid-19th century, wrote prolifically, really, And among his papers, this story was found. And as we think about the challenge of this parable, let's think also about the challenge of this parable that he wrote. It's entitled The Tame Geese. So in this story, he asks us to imagine, so let's imagine, that the geese like us can walk and talk, that they can do the things that we do. The geese went to church every week. Each week they were inspired by a powerful and riveting sermon by the high goose. Each week, as they were inspired, they discovered that the sermon always kind of went the same way. The high goose would tell the assembled geese of their high destiny, 
of the fact that the Creator had a special plan for them. That was the reason why He had given them wings. And as the high goose would say this to the assembled crowd, they would clap and cheer and applaud in appreciation. The geese would curtsy and the ganders would bow their head in honor of the great words. With their wings, the high goose told them they could fly anywhere they wanted around the world. And they were most pleased to hear this. And week after week, they heard the similar sermon Yet week after week, as they dispersed, the geese would waddle home. Why didn't the geese fly? As we gather here, week after week, when we hear inspiring stories, as we hear challenging stories of who God is and what he is doing in the world, are we like the geese, waddling home? Or are we going to even just try to fly? Are we willing to try and spread our wings and see what might happen? This morning, as we come to this table of open invitation, we ask ourselves the question, who of us is ready to roll our sleeves up? Who of us is ready for the challenge of being seen as dubious? Who who of us wants to live the stuff we talk about? Or Is it better for us like the geese just to be content with where we are? Because this morning, if we take this teaching to heart and not just commit some favorite lines to our memory, what we will discover is that things will become messy. Things will be uncertain, uncomfortable, yet things will be biblical. Things will get excited because it will follow the Jesus way of doing things. Jesus is constantly calling his people on. Are we ready to be called along also? So we come. We come to communion and we take our seats at the table. We come as we are, realizing that we are all the same as each other. We come as we are, struggling to fully understand that love which loves us fully. We come as we are struggling to know how to share that love that we are fully loved with others who God fully loves. We come not knowing, but sometimes the coming is enough in and of itself. Because in the coming, we open ourselves to being people of story and people of feast. We come to take our place and we encourage others to do the same. And as we close, who are the blind, the lame, and the crippled of our day? Who are those people that Jesus is calling us to go and see and speak with and be with? Because I don't know about you, but for me, I am tired of confessions in Clements where people feel they can't say it in church. I am annoyed at the most, at the amount of broken and tears that get shed in nightclubs because people are full of hurt of what they have experienced inside the church's door. I am filled with holy anger that we applaud ourselves when we watch a film about injustice that happened 50 years ago that we recognize now that it was injustice. Who are those groups to which this table cries open for business to today? And what excuses are we making to stop them from coming? 
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. We thank you that you first showed it to us, yet we are full of awe and wonder about what that means to show it to others. Stir our hearts. Challenge us. Help us to see the openness of your invitation. Not just to see the openness of your invitation, but to respond to it and to get out into those corners of our world where people need to see you. Need to see your love. Need to see you in action in us. Take away our fear. Challenge us. Lead us on. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.